right. Didn't you love that? Oh, there he is without a blemish, huh? Oh, this is my Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true. And it is all that I need. That's right. Well, what did we, when we started Matthew, we started with the line of Jesus, just to, again, proof that Jesus did come through a human line and was born of a, of a human. And we talked about how the blood comes from the male. That's why Jesus' blood was perfect, because Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And that's why Mary, even though she was human, the blood is pure. And uh, we, can, we know that it was a sacrifice that was accepted by God when the when the temple curtain was open from top to bottom so we know this sacrifice was perfect for us so you know we saw in the first chapter how how great it was that in this line five women are used and how these women were you know, maybe not women we would have thought would be in the line of Jesus, but if that doesn't show that he will use and anybody whose heart is willing to receive him, who's willing to let him touch our, their life and become whole. And these women experience Jesus' forgiveness and uh, how God amused them in the line of Christ. I mean, I thought that first chapter got us off and running. And then we saw how, you know, the wise men, why were they wise? Why were these called wise men? It wasn't just that they went to fancy schools back in the East. They were wise because they were willing to listen. They were willing to believe this message of Jesus, follow a star, you know, and however old Jesus was, he didn't look kingly, I'm sure, a toddler or whatever, but they brought just the right gifts that, that represent what Jesus came to do. These wise men listened to the voice on the way to not go back. And, and so that's why they're wise. And may we, may we think about that in our own lives, that we want to become wise women. And it isn't how smart we are. It is how wise we are in God's word and how much we are willing to listen to him and then how much we are willing to then take that and obey and do it. That's what makes us wise. And then we saw Jesus' baptism. We heard him being told by his father that he, that, that he, was, uh, that he approved, that he was well-pleased with Jesus and it spearheaded his ministry. He was baptized. He was um, tempted so we have a savior that knows exactly what we're going through and and then we moved into the uh, Matthew 5 to 7 I mean such word for word instruction I mean you know if I can say to you if you need something to go go to this summer besides what we're doing with the fruit I also suggest that we go back you know I know we took the time and we reviewed for you know a couple of weeks but that Sermon on the Mount is instruction that is word for word how he wants us to live on topics that we deal with every day. So, and then after the teaching, you know, then we saw, we heard his parables, we saw his miracles. He was willing to do whatever it took to get people to believe. And we have that same proof right in his word. 
And then after, you know, after the parables and the miracles and all that, and then he knows he's moved into his last week, and he just doesn't go to Mary, Martha, and Lazarus' house and puts his feet up. He intently goes after the, the people who are refusing all of these three years to believe in him. And he, he pulls out all the stops. In Matthew 23, he, he pulled out seven warnings to those religious church people that thought that they knew so much. And he called them whitewashed tombs because you might look spit and polished on the outside and so religious, but I see your heart. And it is like dead bones. And so, you know, he just, those seven warnings, those seven woes. And remember we said it wasn't that he's mad. It means he's just so, he loves them so much. And he said, whatever language it takes for you, I mean, that was a chapter that we had to look at as a chapter of love, even though that's not what we think and picture love to look like or sound like, but it was, because he could have just said nuts to you, but he wanted to take his last and just pour it out, but then we saw that, the, you know, the power of rebellion itself and how he just wept for them. Because he knows. Do you know that he talks about hell more than he talks about heaven? In the New Testament, it talks more about hell than heaven. And I think it, the reason for that is because he, it's such a reality. And people just don't want to go there. And so, and then we see in chapter 24 where he gives us, he gives us warnings. He gives us warnings saying that, you know, this is what happens before I, I come back. I want you to be warned and prepared and ready so that nothing surprises you, that you don't get thrown off. That when something happens on the news, you're not saying, oh, no, this is hopeless. You're saying, oh, he told me these things have to come. And then when he said those words, see, I have told you now. I have told you, you're going to even see that those words in this lesson today. He says, you know, I'm telling you, I made sure that you, that you um, heard it, but did you hear it? You know, and that's where, that's where our part comes. He's done it. He's told. He's warned. And then you see, you know, in the, in the last couple chapters that we've been, the torment, the suffering, the giving of himself. Oh, my word, he just handed himself over. And then how we ended last week with those seven the, the saints, his last seven saints on the cross, how important, how he still cared, how he still unconditionally loved, how he still forgave, how broken his body was. And then we get to this lesson this lesson changes everything. And I go back to a verse where Paul said, wonder if he had never risen from the dead. Wonder if he never rose from the dead. We would still be in our sin. We still wouldn't understand the power of, of new life. And it reminds me of John's tears when in Revelation, when in chapter, in chapter 5, where there was no one that could take the scroll, the 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 title, the deed of planet earth to begin judgment because judgment has got to come 
Everything's got to be made right before Jesus can return, before heaven, and we get the new heaven and the new earth. And there was no one at the time, and John just wept uncontrollably because that would mean Satan won. And then Jesus steps up, and he takes the scroll from the Father's hand, and he opens the seven seals. He opens the seven trumpets. He opens the seven bowls of wrath. And we live in that hope that someday that's going to happen. So he has given us enough that we can wake up every morning singing blessed assurance. And when we all get to heaven, we can sing all those songs. But we should always say, but until then, may we live out our heart going singing. May our heart show joy. And that's the word we're going to see today. You are going to see what joy looks like. Because joy, according to Jesus in John 15, and we'll study that next year, we will see so many more of what Jesus said in, in, in John 15 when he said, joy, joy is me. Your joy is complete when you know me. No matter what you're going through, you can still have joy because it's me. It's not a feeling. It is not happiness. Joy is something else, and you're going to see joy in such a real way today. And that's why I started the questions with you saying, the psalmist says, yes, weeping does last for the night. But what can you and I count on? What can we count on? No matter how hard our weeping is, no matter how hard our crisis is, what can you count on? Joy will always come in the morning. Isn't that something to hang on to? Okay, after the Sabbath, and things couldn't have gotten more bleak. As we start this chapter, it couldn't have been more bleak and hopeless because Jesus is dead. So after the Sabbath, at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. And I have to stop there because... You've got to go back to the chapter right before that because you just have to know that these details are so, so perfectly interwoven in this. Those same two women were at the tomb when Joseph wrapped Jesus in that white, clean linen cloth and put him in the grave. They saw him with their own two eyes. How, how, how credible is that? You've got two women that saw Jesus go into that grave. And these same two women are there at the tomb. And I look at Mary Magdalene. You know, Mary must have been the most common name in that of the day. And so we know that it just says Mary Magdalene. She's the specific one that we know. And Mary. And who knows what Mary that one is. I don't know. But the very fact that Matthew writes Mary Magdalene is, I think, a reason for you and I to take notice that this was a sinful woman. Mary Magdalene was a sinful woman. It talked about that she had demons that Jesus cast out of her. But every one of us has demons. We all had demons. And the biggest demon is called self, believe it or not. And this this Mary Magdalene, she represents you and me. When Jesus changes your life, you can't get enough of him. And you will be a part of every part of him. 
And you want to know as much as you can about him because he changed everything for you. He didn't just change you now. He changed you for all eternity. He gave you an eternal home to be with him that's going to be perfect, to be a part of a new heaven and new earth. It's extraordinary. And it's all because he touched her and made her whole. But I think Mary Magdalene represents you and me. At least I pray that this study of Matthew has gotten you to realize how important that humble yourself. Jesus said, I want you to be like a child. Humble yourselves. Know that in and of yourself, you are nothing. But you walk humbly to the cross of Christ, and he changes everything through his grace and mercy and his blood. There was a violent earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone, and sat on it. What an experience this had to be for these two women. You know, they're, they're, they're falling around because the earth is shaking and they hear the rocks cracking. And, and you know, they're obviously... They're wondering what is happening, and I'm sure the fear is at its peak because they don't understand what's going on. And then they see an angel. Now, look, Matthew makes sure. I know we know this chapter so well, we all can quote it. But I want you to stop and just look at and put yourself, because remember, you're Mary, you're Mary Magdalene. I'm Mary Magdalene. We've had an experience with Jesus. He's changed your life, and we are forever grateful. So the least we can do is go to the tomb. And, and the least we can do is bring our spices and get that poor body ready because there wasn't time before. And then now we learned in the story how the, the woman who, who with the alabaster perfume put it over Jesus' head and, and the disciples got all shook and he said, why are you so upset about it? The poor, you yes, I know I want you to take care of the poor, but they're always going to be there. But this woman is preparing my body for burial. How beautiful is that? But now these women, so you and I, we, we are watching this we're watching this unfold, and we see an angel. And Matthew wants us to make sure we see that his appearance. So what would you be thinking if you saw sitting on this, this rock that had been moved away from the tomb, and this angel is sitting there, and, and Matthew says that his appearance was like what? Like lightning. Have you ever been a part? Of course you've been a part of a lightning storm. I don't care. You can be, you don't even have to be outside. You can be in the, in the basement, but there's something about lightning you know. It is definitely something that you can't help but notice. And so that's the point. His appearance was like lightning. You couldn't help notice him. It stopped you in your tracks, obviously. It dropped those guards like they were dead men. And, and the color, the color, he, not only was his appearance like lightning, but it was like white as snow, blinding as, you know what the sun, when the sun shines on white snow, you know, you can't hardly even drive. You've got to put glasses on. You know that there's a dazzle there. There's a brightness. 
So this experience, it drops the guards like they're dead. And I have to smile about that because if you're dead, what can you do? Nothing. You can't say a thing. You can't move. Yeah, I mean, these men are like dead men. They are in shock and they can't move or say a thing. But that's kind of good. So now the, the angel can talk to the women. That they're not interrupting. They're just dead there. They, they are, they're just motionless and speechless for the time. Good. So the angel said to the women, do not, do not be afraid. I mean, he's calming because he knows this isn't an everyday occurrence. And so this whole, this whole thing is just startled them to the point of, and don't be afraid, for I know, I know that you have come looking for Jesus who was crucified. That had to be comforting. That had to be at least a little bit comforting because, okay, then he knows. He knows about the situation, what we've been through in the last few days. But then he goes on to say, he is not here. He has risen. And I hope you underline this next phrase because this is major. What is the angel saying to them? Should this, this, should, should this surprise them? No. That's why the angel says there. He, he is not here. He's risen. Uh, just as he told you a few times that you plugged your ears to, that you couldn't possibly, you didn't even ask any more questions about. You just didn't want to go there. So you just kind of tuned it out. That's basically what he's saying. This shouldn't have thrown you. This shouldn't, you should have come to the tomb knowing full well that he wasn't going to be there because he told you. Then the angel goes on. Now the angel, after, after kind of a little reprimand, really, it was kind of a little reprimand. You shouldn't be so afraid, I'm, you know, because uh, you knew this, because he told you. And that's why with all of us, if we, if we run into hopelessness and we run into despair and we run, run into fear and doubt and, and, uh, and worry, He's in, you know what? I'm not cutting you any slack here because I told you. I told you from the beginning that my name would be called Emmanuel. I'm so grateful that Bonnie pointed that out to me. She said, look, watch, in Emmanuel, Jesus is told. No, we are told that, that by the angel that his name will be called Emmanuel. And now Jesus ends this chapter saying, I want you to keep remembering that I'm with you. That's what my name even means. So, okay, now after this, after he kind of reprimands him a little bit, then he says, okay, now here's my instructions. And I had you really look at those instructions. They're not complicated. They're not confusing. Not complicated or confusing. And I'm here to tell you, if the gospel starts getting complicated and confusing, you're not hearing it right. Because this is not complicated or confusing. 
The gospel of Christ is, is so simple to our understanding, except that it's up to us whether we want to receive it. Who makes things complicated? We do. If we don't want to hear, we just complicate it. Or we start believing the enemy when he says, yeah, but this could mean that. No. Complicated and confusion are not two words of the gospel. And he says, okay, now this, these are the instructions. This is the gospel instruction, uncomplicated, not confusing. He says to them, all right, first thing you've got to do is what? Come. You've got to come. In other words, Jesus has done his work. Now you've got to come. You've got to do your part. You've got to move those feet. I told you I was going to say that. You've got to get out of bed. You've got to put those clothes on. You've got to move those feet. You've got to start your day with purpose and worth. Jesus says, come. And the first come, of course, is come to the cross. Because if you don't make the move to come to the cross, you won't. What's the next, what's the next instruction? They come in perfect order. The first thing is you. you got to make the move. You've got to decide to do this. You've got to come. And if you don't come, you won't see. You won't discover. You won't experience. Because it starts with you first. And I even say this with Bible study. I'm telling you, if you don't come, I don't care. I don't care. I, don't, I would dare stand here and say that every one of you, every one of you, if you've made the effort to come, get out of bed, put the clothes on, whether it's storming or what, you put your foot in front of you, even if you're not feeling like it, you know it's someplace you've got to be. I have yet to say to somebody or have somebody say to me, man, that was a big old waste of time. Once you open this book, and it is God's word, and it's perfect, and it is all we need, and he promises to supply what we need for today, he can't supply unless you come and discover. This is such perfect sense. This come and see, whether it comes to our salvation or whether it comes to learning and growing and and maturing, you have got to come and even if not here, some other Bible study, or even at home, you have got to walk to that Bible and open it. You, it just shows you have to make the first move here. You've got to desire it. Come, and then look what you're going to discover, and it's going to change you. Look, look what would have happened if, the, if they would have let their fear overtake them, and they would have ran. When they saw the the dazzle like lightning and snow on snow white, I mean, wonder if they said, "I'm out of here." If they didn't come, they wouldn't have discovered. And if they hadn't discovered, they would have had nothing to go and tell. Such simple instructions here, but yet major step one, two, three. Four, you come, you discover. And when you discover, I hope you are seeing this more and more all the time, that the more you discover, the more you can't wait to go and tell. Because you're going to hear it. When he ends this chapter, you can't get it any clearer what he expects from us. 
then go quickly and tell his disciples. But see, if they hadn't put one foot in front of him and came and saw that the tomb was empty, then they would have they would have run and had nothing to say. But now that they have have, have had it personally themselves, they made the effort. They walked into that tomb. They saw it was empty. Oh, boy, do we have something to tell. Shouldn't that be us? Because he has changed us so much. That's why I said to Judy, without batting an eyelash, just keep, don't be embarrassed about how the Lord has changed you and that he is on your lips and that you give him credit for this and that he's your life now. He's not a part of your life. He is your life. And so how can you, when he's changed your life and he now has become your life, how can you not talk about that? So he said, go tell the disciples that he is risen from the dead and he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. And then he says these words again. Now, I told you. I told you. So you don't have any cockamamie excuse here. And I, and I say that, and I, and I don't mean to be so harsh, but I just think I, that word excuse just is so ready on our lips. And now we are so full of excuses. Now I've told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb. And here's the line. Afraid? Yeah. I mean, this is an extraordinary experience here. This isn't, like I said, an everyday occurrence. So obviously, they're going to be fearful this is our human makeup. We can't deny emotions. But here's a classic line that shows you and I, don't let our human emotions overpower your faith in Jesus and what he has promised you and what you know of him. And that line shows that, yes, you can humanly be afraid, yet filled with joy. And why? Because the Holy Spirit is helping you recall all the things that you've learned and what he's promised. And you're saying, I can do this because he promises never to leave me. And he's promised that his Holy Spirit will give me what I need. That's joy. That's Jesus. So humanly, yes, they were afraid, but yet they let themselves still be filled with what Jesus meant to them and what he had promised and what the angels said. They chose to be wise, even though they didn't understand it. They chose to believe it. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings. You know, you kind of expect great big, hello, I'm here. Look, no, it's just a, a simple greetings. In fact, when I looked it up to kind of see what greetings meant, it's just like you and I going, you know, me patting you on the shoulder and say, hello. I mean, it's just so gentle. It's just, it's not earth shattering. It's just a simple hello. <laughs> so beautiful, so sweet. And they looked at him. And every gospel kind of, kind of tells a little different story, but we're concentrating on Matthew. And it said these two, these two women, they recognized him, and they clasped his feet, and they worshipped. 
Oh, Mary Magdalene, I want to be her in every way that I see. You know, they looked at him, and to me that's encouraging too because that just re- reiterates that we're going to know people. We're going to recognize them because they they fell to their feet and they worshipped him. They recognized him. But, you know, I know we've been watching this and, and I know it's just, you know, it's just a human made, but yet I do believe it was so anointed of God's spirit because it was every word of scripture to the T. But I, I thought, oh, to, to look at, what was, what did they see? What was Jesus' body like when they looked at him last? According to Isaiah, he was unrecognizable. And now they're looking at him and he doesn't have a mark on him. Except his hands and feet have the have the mark, absolutely. But otherwise, they recognize who he is. And they worship him. And then Jesus said, Don't be afraid. Now go and tell. Go and tell my brothers. How how sweet was that? Not my disciples, not apostles. He said, Go tell my brothers. It was similar to one of his sayings on the cross. Son, here's your mother. Mother, here's your son. Kind of reminds me when they came to Jesus one time and said, oh, your mom and your brothers are outside. Well, who's my mother and who's my brothers? You know, Jesus is, he started then and you can see him continue. He's saying, no, we're one family. It has nothing to do with biology. It has to do with salvation. Go tell my brothers. Go to Galilee and there they will see me. That is just such a great story. And we're going to end in a great story. But sandwiched between these two great, great times, we have got, if you want to see the ugliness of self and what it can do to you, here, here we go. This is about as ugly as it gets conniving, manipulating. Well, the women were on their way. Some of the guards went into the city. Well, yeah, they probably came to their senses a little bit. And the angel is gone. The women are gone. They probably dust themselves off saying, what in the world just happened here? And so they go into town and they report to the chief priests everything that had happened. I still go back to last week, this week. I think down deep they know. They can deny it. They can be upset about it. They can be sick about it. But they know. So here we have another word. Um, I'm sure there's other words in different um, versions, but the NIV happens to use the word devise. So when the chief priests had met with elders and devised a plan, well, that's just another word that they use. Remember plot, slyly, I mean, you know, trick, you know, they've tried all these words that to maneuver, to manipulate, to try, to try to get Jesus out of the picture, and they're still doing it. If they weren't, if they didn't really know, and if Jesus was dead and they believed he was going to stay dead, then why would they have to still be conniving and manipulating and devising a plan? 
And I'm telling you, it's going to cost them. Now, the Bible says it cost them a large sum of money. I, I go beyond that and say a boatload. This cost them a boatload. It, it cost them a lot of money because these guards knew. We know that in Acts. Guards knew, and that's why the jailer is about ready to kill himself. Because if they fall asleep on the post, they are, they are dead themselves. I mean, that is just a rule. And so it had to take a lot of money to convince them to admit that they fell asleep. But that's why I asked you the, I asked the question. I mean, it, it, here again, I mean, their life is, I mean, yeah, they, uh, they also said, Oh, don't worry. If Pilate, if the governor has problems with this, um, we'll, we'll stand up for you. But he, he, they couldn't guarantee. I mean, it wasn't a for sure. They couldn't say, for sure, you will not end your life. They did say, well, we'll go to bed for you. We'll report. We'll keep you out of trouble. Well, that was a nice way of saying, well, that's about all we can offer. Another lie. But the love of money was so powerful, and they dangled that bag in front of their eyes. And you know what? All reality left, and they grabbed the bag. Just like Judas, exactly. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed, and this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Isn't that sad? They're still buying that. Because, why? Because their choice. They are so headstrong. They're so stubborn. They so want to be right. They so are in a rebellious state. They so, I mean, we see that in Revelation. Until Jesus comes on the white horse, there's still, there's still those on this earth who are shaking their fist at him. Unfathomable, but Jews will not, there's a lot of Jews that would still will not believe. They're still willing to believe that the disciples, hey, that story started, and, and you know, and I'm, and I'm going to believe it. Those disciples stole the body, and, but they don't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Oh, he was a good man, he taught a lot of good things, but they will not accept that Jesus was the Messiah. And so they'd rather believe this cockamamie story sad. But it's not just Jews. There are people today who, who might read this and, and they still say, oh, this, this, you know, it's more logical that those disciples, they reason. What does Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 say? Trust the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean to your own understanding. And that's what we always want to do, lean to our own understanding. It's easier to look at this and say, well, that story is far more believable that the disciples stole the body than it is to believe that he rose from the dead. Yes, Ruby? That's right. 
That is right, Ruby. That is so right. What a beautiful proof when when Jesus heard and when God said, just imagine God saying, this is my son who I am so pleased with. I know it. Oh, thanks for that remark. And that's such a, that's so good. All right, now we move back and we go back to verse 16 and we finish off. Then the 11 disciples did that. I had to stop there for a second. I had to just take a look at that number. And I felt bad because it could it could have said 12. And I don't know how the Lord would have done it because I've got a new phrase that I have that I'm starting to really believe because when when certain things I don't understand, or if I don't like her, I'm starting to just say this, that God is looking at this situation and saying, I can use this. I love thinking that in every instance, God is saying, I can use this. And when it came to Judas, he knew what Judas was going to do. And it's hard for our minds to fathom that he knew this and all all that, but he did know it. And he was able to use it. Sad, because Judas heard the same thing, could have responded and believed the same way, but he chose to say no to it. And so we read the number 11. 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, now I want you to look at this very, because I went back over and over many times because I couldn't believe this next line. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. I thought, what? And then I thought, oh, I'm going to reread this, and there's going to be other people that are there. No, it doesn't say that. It said that it's the 11 that were there. And when, when they saw him, some worshipped, but some doubted. And my what, how could they? Before I started being too hard on them, I realized, you know what that basically is? I had a lady... Last Thursday, she was telling me her life story. And she kind of helped me to understand this, and she didn't even realize she was going to. She was telling me her life story. And God did this. And God did this. And God's word said this. And, and I know that he promised this. And I'm, I'm in this crisis right now, and that's why I'm telling you this. And, and, um, and uh, God's word says this. And he says... And then she kept saying, after every statement, she kept saying, she says, but, but, God said this, but, God promised this, but, and in my mind, I'm smiling to myself saying, thank you for helping me understand that you can love him and worship him and and yes, even halfway believe. And these, it, and, it, and before we get too angry with them, anytime you say, and that's why I included in, in, in the worry, in the fear, in the doubt, I, well, and another word that will sink you every time is but. Because you can't say, this is what Jesus said. This is what the Bible says. This is the, 
promise that he gave me, but this is what they were doing here. Oh, I, I know that's him. All right. But, oh, he told us to come here, but sometimes, sometimes we just don't trust. And that's why we sang that song this morning. Look at all your experiences and see how he's taken you farther and farther in your trust. Through it all, I'm learning. I've learned. I pray that you have learned some, but that we're still learning to absolutely trust him and depend on his word. No more buts. That yes, some worshiped, but some doubted. Ugh. That didn't make those 11. They, they all loved him. They were all going to be used by him. But I think eventually they got rid of the butt. If you, um, well, the thing is with that, Don, if you just change it to and, I think that's a nice way of saying but. Because, because you can say, and God said, and God promised. But you see, the but is usually, the but is usually, but I don't quite know how that's going to be possible. But if you, yes, I suppose if you say, God said, and God promised, and I'm going to believe it. There. There. Because I confronted a girl who always says but, and I said, okay, let's converse a little longer, and let's just see how many times, now that you're aware of it, how many times you say but. So I said, let's, let and every time, she would, she would open her mouth, and she would stop, and then she'd try to come up with another word. And I said, you want to say but there, didn't you? I mean, it's just natural. It's automatic. Because we, we think it's too good to be true. It can't possibly be possible. That it can't possibly take me through this and make this victorious. It can't possibly turn this out for good. It can't possibly use this. To finally get to the point where you say, yes, he can. And I know it. You look at all Paul had to go through to get to the point where he said, for I know that in all things he's working for the good of those who love him. <gasps> and sometimes it isn't just instant. But I want to end this morning with these words. And I don't want you to forget them because Jesus starts his, his final words by saying, all authority has been given to me. In other words, there's no one's words who are more powerful than mine, greater than mine, better than mine, more convincing than mine. In other words, I'm the boss. The buck stops here. I've been given authority to say this to you. And I think that's why the next word is therefore. Because the buck stops there because he's been given the authority in heaven and on earth to say these words. No one else can say them, but he can. Because he's been given the authority, therefore, now I'm telling you, he said, now you go. It's not if you feel like it. I'm, I've been given the authority. I'm the boss, and this is what the boss tells you to do, and you better do it if you want your job. You go 
And this is what you are to do. You are to make disciples of all nations. That means anybody. It, no matter what social status. It means no matter what nationality. Whatever. Your job is to go make disciples. And what does that mean? Make them followers of Christ. That means bring them to Jesus. That's our job. Is to make sure people. We tell the next generation. We tell people. That we are not afraid. We are not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God that transformed our life. We're Mary Magdalene, and he changed my life. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And yes, we can literally do that with water. But he's saying, baptize them, cover them. Make your message be all about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Because you needed all three persons of the Godhead. You needed every person. You needed the Father to say, I love them anyway. You needed Jesus to be the willing participant, to be, to be the human, to shed the blood so that the blood could take away all of our sins. And we need the Holy Spirit left behind so that we can live this out because we can't do it on our own. There's no way we are going to come and see and go and tell without being empowered with the resurrected power of God's Spirit. And teaching them. It doesn't stop. Just It doesn't stop with their salvation. We are still responsible to teach them. We've got to keep learning and knowing. Teaching them to obey what? Did you notice? Just some of it. I'll be fine with some of it. No, he said, you teach them that they must obey everything I have commanded. How are you going to know what he's commanded you and I to do, unless you're learning, unless you know what he's called and, and commanded you to do. And this is from his word. So he puts it all in one. You teach them that they're commanded to obey everything I have said. This is what I expect. No excuses. There it is. That's what he says. And I've been given the authority to tell it to you. That's what Jesus says. And I'm telling you, I'm commanding you. This is what God, the one who saved you when you didn't deserve it, this is what, is it, what he expects. And like Paul said, in view of what he's done for you, it's the least we can do. And then he ends with this, and don't think you're out there alone. Oh, it might feel like you're the only one in the crowd, that you're the one standing up. But you see, he ends by saying, surely, for sure, know that I'm with you. I am with you now and until the end of the age. Until when? We see him face to face. But we'll never experience one second or have to go through anything or stand up for anything without him giving us exactly what we need. Pray with me. Jesus, thank you so much for this, this lesson, for these 28 chapters, for Matthew, for your inspired word, for your instruction, for changing our life. And we give you all glory and praise. Now, may we take what we have learned, may we, because we have come and we've discovered. Now, may we go 
and tell. It's the least we can do. We pray this all in our Savior's name. Amen.